It's like this, photographers. Pay your assistants on time the day the work is done. Pay them the exact amount your clients will allow, if not more. And assistants, work your ass off. Never, ever try to go behind your photographer's back and steal their vibe, their energy, their ideas, and their clients. Unless you have express permission, do not shoot your own pictures on their set and then pawn them off to their clients. We're good. We're good. We're good. That was the business. This is Eyeball, and I'm your host, John Loomis. And today we complete our two-week assistant rodeo with my favorite assistant of all time, my friend, Henry Hung, the man in black himself. Now, there's no way to avoid it. We talk a lot about Guido Vitti in this episode. So why are we playing this game? Let's hear from Uncle Guido himself. Let's drop the music. Here he is. All I remember was I was on location in the parking lot of a, of a stop and shop, you know, 15 feet in the air on some fucking rickety ladder shooting downwards at a bunch of shopping carts for some ad. I can't remember what it was for. And it was the first day I had Henry on set. I think I've seen this Ben Affleck movie. <laughs> I know. It sounds like it, right? <laughs> Hanging upside. And I hung me from a fucking helicopter. No, um, I was on, on a ladder and uh, Henry was, that was the first time I've actually had Henry on set and he came recommended to me by somebody else. Ever since then, I've flown him all over God's green earth with me. Whenever I've had the opportunity to, he's been my number one go-to guy for, God, like probably 15 years now, yeah, man. honestly. Henry's solid. He's one of those dudes who's just, you know that he's going to handle his end probably better than you deserve to be <laughs> have that handled. You know, Henry's been so much more than my assistant for a lot of years. I, I can count on two things in, in every day. I know the sun's going to come up and I know that Henry's always going to be, he's always going to be solid. I love the kid. He's been, we've, we've gone all over God's green earth. You paid him back in fine ways. You introduced him to his wife on your own photo set. Yeah, I'm going to take credit for that, actually, because I actually was talking to um, his wife years ago. I'm like, you know, you should give Henry a shot at the title. And I think I actually said that to her. <laughs> I don't think you know this story. First time Henry and I ever worked together after you set us up, we went down to D.C. and we got dinner the night before the shoot even started. And we're at this fancy steakhouse. And it just came to me at the table. I was like, oh, fuck. You know, what's your your website portfolio URL? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, you know, like your website, like your photography, you know, trying to do the whatever. So we were talking about kind of where he's at and, you know, all that stuff. Right. And he's like, oh, you know, it's Henry Hung, blah, 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 whatever. I was like, okay, hold on. Get on your phone right now. Look up to see if areyouhung.com is available. <laughs> he's like, what? I'm like, dude, dude, I mean, just think about what it would be if that was your email. Or that, that was your URL. Henry at areyouhung.com and he's like, holy shit, it's available. And I was like, dude, come on. Are you kidding me? I'll pay for it. <laughs> and at the table, the first time we ever started working together, we, we got areyouhung.com, which is sad to say, I don't think he's ever been put to use. And maybe the use it's been put to is not something that I'm privy to, but I always hoped for more from areyouhung.com. Yeah, he's just a solid dude. If I had to like bring like five people to Desert Island with me, it'd definitely be Henry. At least one of them. Well, he can fish too. So that may, that's that just making sense. Yeah. That, that's that's just fucking good sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> right on, buddy. Well, listen, thanks for giving me some of your Sunday to talk about hung. We'll get to it. Talk to you, brother. Yeah, man. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. And now here's my conversation with Henry Hung himself, where we talk about branching out and cleaning up, taking charge, and the cursed photo shoot of Toronto. First of all, he was saying how you would, you know, 
you would report back to me that I was using all this gear. It was like, <laughs> fuck that. It's fucking insane. And I was saying how you would report to me that he's reading all this gear and not using it. I, that drives me goddamn crazy. I hate. Really? Having, I was saying that. Well, yeah, because <laughs> we're all, all, you know, we're fucking needy black holes of like, well, what's, what's this motherfucker doing? I was like the double spy. Yeah. Well, that's kind of your role. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. At least between Guido and I. I've accepted that. Yeah. yeah. But I was talking with Guido and I was saying how you're one of the few assistants I've ever had that actually interested in your point of view on what we're going to be doing. Because it's not that I don't value any assistant's opinion on things, but the way I use assistants on sets is I am talking out loud and they're a sounding board. There's another person in the room and I'm just like, bouncing things off him and it's almost like a rap you know it's almost like beat poetry i'm not making sense i'm not speaking in any rational way i'm just trying to start thinking about what we're going to be doing the order of what we can be doing what's possible what's out there all these different factors go through our heads about what we could create in this space in Mm -hmm. this time in this moment with this subject because all those things are very limited resources you know we're going to have this person for this amount of time we're locked into using you know this room or this room we have this gear with us in order to create these effects. There's a million things you could do, but ultimately, in order to please a client, there are a certain set of things that actually could happen. Because we were able to work together for so long and because I really respect your creativity and your point of view, you're one of the people I got to work with who I was excited to go down this path of explaining what I wanted to do and what order I want to do it. And then I was very excited to hear, or I was very interested in hearing your point of view on what we're going to try to accomplish in, in yeah. the moment you seem very intelligent about knowing when a photographer needs to just talk through what's happening well i'll go back to a story about guido it was one of the first times i worked with him and i had actually the first job i had worked with him on it was like an ad for some supermarket up in massachusetts somewhere and it was i was a second assistant and it was like like there's a separation between me and him, you know, because it was the first assistant or whatever. So it's the second time I worked with him. He had called me out of the blue and it was like a pro bono thing he was doing. And what I noticed was that like at first I was like, Guido's kind of a dick. The way he talks to me, like he's kind of a dick, but I didn't care, really care. It was and I kind of understood that he was just trying to get the orders out and I just needed to respond to that. Right. There was no intention of that he thought any less of me or anything like that or like that he was trying to be a dick or anything like that. It was just that he was in the process of trying to create something. And the only way he could verbalize that was in that way. Right. And I kind of felt the same way working with you for the first time. Right. It's like a chef in a kitchen. It's exactly right. Right. Like there's there's a captain, right. right, And you just got to bark orders. If I respect you and, and I know that that's not your intention is to be a jerk. And like your intention is to just like we have a job and we got to make something great out of it. Like I respect that. You know, I'm not I'm not going to look beyond that. And so that was my that was actually my first impression with you, too. Well, you know, like he's <laughs> he's kind of being a jerk, but I kind of see where he's coming from. Like, I understand why, you know, especially in the type of work that I worked with you on, like the, the assignments yeah. and stuff. Yeah, super, super fast. fast very demanding yeah to me in the room i have to be in charge i have to know exactly what i want and i demand everyone who's there just like i don't want gear that i don't need there i don't want anyone who doesn't need to be there there i only want tools that are ready to be put to use right and in that room it needs to conform and work together to create 
the opportunity to create, do some work, to do good, to actually do good work. Because all you ever get is the opportunity to do it. The only thing guaranteed is there's a chance that with these factors, you might, depending on the way you gel with this other person or these other people, get a moment in time in which you can connect and maybe make a photograph which rises above. Only an opportunity. That's the only thing that you might be able to get to. And so the creation of the opportunity is just hard work and sweat. And so in that moment, in that room, I don't care how anyone perceives me. I couldn't give a fuck. I'm trying to drive whatever this the metaphor is, a bus or a sports car or whatever, whatever we're trying to drive. I'm trying to arrive at this moment and be ready to receive some sort of inspiration. In the, in the clearest way possible. Right. I've, I've worked with people who hesitate and that was the downfall right. of the job. You know, like any hesitation or any questioning of oneself as a photographer on set, then you just increase the chances of it. You know, because that subject is going to not trust you. Once the subject's there and you don't know what you want, you're in big trouble. Right. Yeah. You know, there have been times where I didn't know what I wanted to do. Subject wasn't there. I was trying to figure it out. And even that is dangerous territory because that usually means that you're not investing in that job. Because mm-hmm. if you're invested in that job, you've been thinking about it. You've been, sure. you've been planning yeah. for it. You don't necessarily have a game plan that you're going to enact because, you know, we don't even talk about this. And I, I really agree with him. I, that whatever you think you know, you don't really know until you get there. And so you can have all the ideas in the world, all, all the, the concepts in the world. Post-production possible, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there are jobs in which are all about post-production. So you're just creating, you know, you're just getting some ingredients to then put together later and actually make the main dish. That's not how I want to work. I want to I create something in the camera that is the thing. In order to do that well, in my opinion, you can arrive with a ironclad game plan. You're also pigeonholing yourself. Well, you not only are you pigeonholing yourself, but if you do that, all you're doing is letting other possibly better things pass you by. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's like it's like information bias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We <clears throat> seek out information which conforms to our worldview. If you think you know exactly what you want, that's the only way you'll be able to conceive of this job and this photo shoot and this interaction. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more valuable to have open enough mind, at least for part of it, you know. There are a lot of times we work together. We knew we had to do X, Y, or Z for a client. Yeah. You know, sometimes right. it was like, you know, we have to shoot on a blue background for the client in order to match another shot. Or if we the do- spread is a certain way, you're going to crop it. In a right. And way. so there, there's a variable that we haven't determined, but it's been determined for ourselves. And so, okay, now we have one hand behind our back, but we still have this other hand free. So if there's any freedom left, I want in the moment at that location on that job to like look around, to experience, to think, how am I feeling? What does this person look like to me? What does this place feel like to me? That is a very valuable part of that whole ingredient list. And I need that in order for it to feel like this was my job. This was my opportunity to do something. Right. And I feel like you were a valuable asset in terms of capitalizing on those opportunities. Because as I got to know you more and more over the years we worked together, it was clear that whatever you might be feeling personally at any given time, and I'm, you know, any creative was feeling a lot of different things at all the time, different times. You were very committed professionally to getting to a point where there would be an opportunity to create a good picture. And I'm not interested in trying to figure out if that's becoming more or less rare in terms of finding good people to work with, but it certainly feels important when you find 
another person in creativity. Oh, yeah, sure. It, whatever yeah, the relationship's yeah, going to yeah. be, you know. Everybody's different, though, you know. Sure. And, like, some people who are super creative may not vibe with you or somebody else, you know, in the same way. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason why Guido and I are friends, and there's a reason why Guido and I have both worked very successfully with you. We yeah. have certain personalities, and certain personalities are going to be able to work with that. And mm-hmm. certain ones are going to run screaming for the hills. Totally. like, fuck yeah. this. <laughs> You know, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> and this, this, what are we? We're taking pictures. Yeah. yeah. So fuck that. We had a lot of fun on photo shoots. We we did take things seriously, but oh yeah, there's a time and place for fucking around and having fun and you know doing the work. And there's a time and place for just like usually my, the time and place for buckling down and like being ultra serious was like for ten minutes. It wasn't like it was a under some kind of constraint for the most of the time. Yeah, that's true. But the times that we were under that stress and the constraint that. Those were also fun times for me too. Yeah. Cause it was like, we got to stop joking around. Let's get this shit done. Yeah. You know, like, let's do this. And for me, that's, that's enjoyable as well. Yeah. To really do a good job and to really, to really act on something and a fly in that way. And, and I feel like that's a lot of the work that we had worked on was like, totally things were ever changing. And that, that was what really was appealing to me. Yeah. And to find something, to right. be gifted a, piece of inspiration and then act upon it and then make an image, which otherwise no one would have ever scripted. Yeah. That's like it's such a bonus. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even feel like a bonus for the client. It's a bonus for you that you get to share with the client. Like it's a Christmas. And the morning. access. Yeah. 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 You have this access to this thing that you would never have access to before. Right. We we're talking about assisting and you continue to assist, but selectively for a certain group of friends and colleagues that you've worked with for a long time. More so than assisting, you've mostly been doing digital teching. But evermore, and you, as you have been for the last decade, you're shooting more for yourself. And you just did a, a big job for People Magazine in Bahamas. And you are also have been working a lot in motion and video capture stuff. I know you described the process and the transition between being an assistant and being a whatever's next photographer, videographer, whatever, as being a perpetual transition. But it feels like in knowing you for all this time that you're a little closer to making this line in the sand and deciding you're no longer going to be doing this or that. You're moving forward in some way. How does it feel to you right now? I feel like I'm still figuring it out, you know, especially making that transition or actually exploring the idea of video or film outside of photography. You know, that's still a new thing for me. And there's still a, a huge learning curve. When I did that film Narlene's with my friend Raul, that was the first big venture that I've done in film like ever. And so I learned a lot going into that. And I also learned a lot um, coming out of that. This is no small first leap into shooting motion. I mean, you were a pivotal part of a full length documentary film called Narlene's photographing street culture in New Orleans. This is a big deal. You guys have gotten to festivals. You've been doing a lot of promotion for it. Mm-hmm. You've had screenings for it. How did that come about? How, what was the opportunity you saw and why did it seem like a good opportunity to get into more of the film side? I think I just always wanted to do something in film related or video related because I felt like that was sort of the next step. Like over the years, I would take pictures and then I would also kind of think about like, like how would I do this on a video stage in a film? Like how would this play out? I had met Raul in New York, we were both assistants and I really liked the vibe that Raul had. Like, like we both had shared a passion for hip hop and punk rock. He was in a punk rock band and stuff at the time. And he had just done a, a short film on 
a graffiti artist in Brooklyn. And that really like jazzed me up about Raul and I really wanted to work with him. And so for a couple of years, we had talked about working together on something and then Raul kind of made some moves and we were talking about doing a film about skateboarding because we both had that similar passion, but not in a place that you would think about skateboarding, not New York, not LA, not Barcelona. And New Orleans kind of was like something I had been there a few times before. He had spent a bunch of time down there. I mean, you were talking about Saskatchewan for a minute, but yeah, <laughs> yeah in the dead of winter, actually. No, I yeah. mean, got to, right. got to, yeah, yeah. There's, and so when you think nothing of like riding an ice cold rail, you know? Oh I mean, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> like a ledge just coated in ice, the best, no wax needed. When you think of New Orleans, you think of Mardi Gras. You know, you think of like people partying and stuff. The skateboard culture in New Orleans is it's super vibrant. It's ride or die. You know, it's it's very much reminding me of when I grew up skateboarding. You know, it was very punk rock. You didn't give a fuck about anything. You know, you didn't, you didn't care what people thought about you. Now skateboarding is there's a lot of social media behind that. There's a lot of like money in skateboarding now. Right. There's something to be sold to. Right. That demographic to the mass media and yeah. new orleans like didn't have that and we had gone down in 2016 and hung out with jazz for a couple of weeks and then after that we had realized that it wasn't just about jazz it was about like jazz and the crew that he was with and so we went down a following year for an- another period of time and did some more filming i did not know anything about film in those couple of years and so i had learned what it meant to put post-production into something like that. Yeah, it was like mind-blowing. And sound production alone was like just a beast in itself. No, it's, it's interesting because creativity of any stripe is very linked. Some of the same things are, but the forms it takes and the sophistication of those forms and the way to make those forms work can be as complex as you want to make it, you know? And so you are as close as you want to be to writing a song that could be a hit on the radio. You could be three chords away or you could be 50 years of studying sound design and learning all about acoustics and vibration and different wood varieties and their spectral com- everything can be as black and white or as gray as you want it to be right and so the buried entry is really actually very low and very small ultimately anyone who wants to go and start creating a documentary film could and should go fucking do that because it's out there and the tools are probably tools you already have, really. Right. Yeah. But then as you start doing it, you start thinking about what it is. You start trying you getting a vision for how you want it to feel and look. The other tools you'll need, their experience and dedication to learning new skills you'll need are immense and vast, which shouldn't be a barrier to starting the whole process. What it means is that you didn't know you're about to become really good friends with a bunch of motherfuckers who exactly. are going to help you because <laughs> like, you're going to need some help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then that was the great thing about it was that we got to know those people that were experienced in that and were professionals in that way. I would ne- never been able to get to that point, and especially in the time frame that we had the documentary out. We put it out in like, you know, four or five years. You know, where most documentaries take at that length, which is like a, like a 90 minute documentary, it usually takes like 10 years, 15 wow. years. I know that. You know, yeah. yeah, like it takes a long time. And that a lot of that is post production. Right. And then probably going back to revisit to do some more filming. Right. This is basically explaining why Marvel movies have such a fucking long, you know, credit <laughs> reel. Yeah. It's like, 
Well, any movie, really. No, yeah, but especially like a thing that's all post-production in terms of like yeah, you know, sure. digital yeah, artists all and whatever. All the SFX studios. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of names yeah. who yeah. touch this thing. That's where all the money goes. That's where all the money goes, yeah. And rightfully so, because yeah. the man hours are all there. For sure. We were already chided by our significantly better others for any gender potential oh. politics. <laughs> so I don't know why I call it man hours. Maybe it should be woman hours. Gender hours. So you put this out into the world. You did some festival stuff. You've done some screening stuff. What are the plans for Narlene's or what does the future look like for documentary film for you and Raul or for other projects? We haven't really gone into any festivals per se. Like we've gotten selected for judging in a couple. We've done screenings. So we did like an opening screening in New Orleans, which was proper. We had to do it there. We did one in New York. And then there's supposed to be one coming up next year in Austin. You know, I'm not really sure where the film's going to go at this point. You know, this year has been a weird year, just kind of up and down in a lot of ways, like personal stuff and work stuff. And so Raul has kind of been taking charge. What we have done was we have gotten a lot of press for the film. Like Huck Magazine had a feature on it. Uh, Athleta Magazine had a feature on it, which were huge. And it would be cool to get more stuff like that, you know, just to create the exposure for it. Because right now it's on Vimeo. You know, it's, it's out there on the internet and anybody can watch it. You know, we're not charging for it. Yeah, we'll throw a link up on this. Okay, cool. So is this a form that you look forward to working in again? Is, is this kind of whet your appetite for more or was this sort of, you got to learn a lot and that's exciting, but it also made you excited to learn more about something else? I think like from this experience going into the next project, I think we would go about it differently, more pre-production into things and also kind of, shoot it and record it in a certain way where post-production would be more streamlined. I would love to do more documentary work with Raul. Uh, we're talking about things, but you know, we got to see. You know? Yeah. Well, it's a big um, commitment too. I mean, you start down this path of a story and, you know, even the short end you guys dealt with for five years, that's a five year commitment. Yeah. It's, it's not nothing. It was a long time. You know, and I think also too, like we both want to be able to work on other things too. Sure. Outside of this, our relationship. And we definitely learned a lot working together, a lot of positive ways. And so going to the next project, when we do do that, then I hope that it would just be that much better, right? that more streamlined, that much more quicker, and so that we could put more energy into certain things other than like what we did for Gnarlies. Because it was our first huge major documentary. It was like, there's a lot of hiccups, you know, sure, there's a lot of bumps of in the road and, and that's natural, I think. You know, and no, so, and you're you're literally learning as you go. So, yeah, totally. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing. You've already taken all these new skills you've been learning and have learned shooting a documentary film like Narlene's, and you were able, you know, this year to do work with yet again talking about our buddy Uncle Guido here and shooting documentary film and motion work for Vidi Cycling, the European cycling apparel company that Guido founded this year. Right. And and I feel like the, the experience that I'd taken away from Narlene's was, you know, I felt more comfortable shooting video. Because before, like, you know, I would get some assignments, like some editorial assignments, and be like, well, well, you can shoot, can you shoot video as well? And I would, most of the time, I'd be like, I can't really. Really, you don't have the budget for it, or there's right. really no time, you know. Like, for what you're paying, yes. Yeah. That's, I, I'm worth that. Right. But did you want something good? Because you ain't going to get it. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Which I think is ultimately fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and also part of that too was like, I just didn't feel comfortable shooting video because I didn't have the experience doing that. You know, there's a huge learning curve with shooting video. And so what I took away from New Orleans was that I was able to kind of get comfortable with that. And so when Guido asked me to do the video portion of the brand, you know, I wasn't hesitant at all. And I was like, well, you know, it's solely just going to be video. Like I'm not going to be doing anything else. And a lot of it was running gun, which is very similar to New Orleans. It was sort of like you'd hit the ground running. You didn't really know what you were getting into. That first big project we did was in Italy in a small town in the mountains and it rained half the time, you know? So it was challenging in that way. And then also, also like working along with Guido, like he was shooting pictures as well. And so like you had to kind of work in tandem with that. That style of working though was something you're also comfortable with because that's kind of how Guido and I work anyway. And a lot of the people you've worked with over time. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. so often we would have maybe the one big lit piece. Mm hmm. And that was something you could prepare for and kind of pre-light and have a sense of what you're doing. Uh, though, you know, it always gets changed and, you know, something about it doesn't quite fit once you get started. But, you're, you know, you're ready. We would then have this other version of what we were going to do that day that was super pared down and super mobile. And oftentimes that was just like literally running around and trying to put some light on something. Yeah. And so, you know, in a sense, that's kind of I've been echoed in the motion work, at least for this project. I hope so. I mean, also like with video, when I went to Italy, we, I had captured a ton of footage, but some of it, a lot of it, it was repetitive or unusable in certain ways, be just because like it was super shaky or the way that it was captured wasn't in the, in line with the brand and how he was shooting photos, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and that was important, you know, right. because the photos were sort of the main show. Yeah, well, you know, that that's what happens when you're creating both things for the first time, you know, at the same time, because there's no reference points for either thing. So right. it's just a conversation. Mm -hmm. So if as you continue to work with video cycling, which I'm sure you will, you know, you actually have a, you know, a place to start the conversation like, okay, you know, you know how this was this and that was that or whatever else. And, you know, that's why I think over time, you know, our relationship and our you know, professional relationship let alone our personal relationship just to make you uncomfortable and weird feeling, you know, just grew and like got better because you had a better sense of what I was trying to achieve. And I was, whether or not it was just by watching what I was doing and helping me do things more professionally, you know, a big part of any, the learning curve of any assistant I've worked with, especially assistants who are actual assistants who have experience is I did not start it as an assistant in photography. And so I didn't have a, background of like here's how we do something so that we're not going to have it, all the gear in our own way and have the c-stands going to poke someone's eye out and all these little tiny little tips and tricks you learn if you come up through an assistant ranks and then transition from assistant photographer over time i didn't have any of those things because i i was only ever a photographer right. who then eventually yeah. started working with assistants because it the work demanded it and so i actually had to learn how to use assistants better and better and then make that relationship grow and that conversation give a better opportunity for better pictures. It all makes me wonder what your perspective is, what actually makes a really good assistant. Cause you know, right now I'm in DC, we got to work together for a long time after you moved from Boston to New York and were referenced to work with me from our buddy Guido. At some point we'll have to start paying him if we use his name too many times, or maybe it's like a Beetlejuice <laughs> thing. If you said it three times, he'll show up. That'd be, that'd be fucking weird. 
Um, in white makeup. <laughs> like a good assistant is somebody who like works on the fly. And somebody that can like, you walk into a situation and you surveil what you need to do and you just do it. You know, it doesn't matter how that person treats you or, I mean, the person needs to treat you respect, but like, you know, going back to how we would work together is like, you you were just like kind of spewing out ideas, like what you need to do, what you need to get done. And that person is there just to do it. Right. right? Almost to create order and chaos. Right. Part of what, I look for now, I look to sort of replace what I got to work with you all these years and with my other assistants I've worked with over the years who helped me do my job better. You know, one of the things you have done very successfully in, in entering into any new situation is to start creating a little bit of order and all the chaos and maelstrom of ideas and concepts and expectations and nerves and tension and everything else. What other things do you think about that? assistance or digital text should be able to do well in a photographic shoot i mean i can only really talk from my own personal experience with using assistance as well like i think when i work as an assistant i try to be as organized as possible and so you're always knowing any chords or anything like that like anything like like anything that's kind of screwed about like it needs to be organized and cleaned up and i always look for that in my assistants as well you know and i think that's a true sort of note on their personality. Right. You know what I mean? Like I think that's actually pretty rare too. Yeah. If you have like a power cord to a pack that's like kind of tangled up and is left like that, like that shouldn't be left. Right. You know, like that needs to be straightened out. You're starting a shoot and there's shit everywhere. Because there is. You know, right. you're you know, maybe you're off a flight, you know, you have all your stuff, everything's all discombobulated, or it's in all these different boxes and bags because that's how you had to fly with it or whatever else. And so there's a level to which things aren't quite together, but then you start building what's going to happen. As the pieces start fitting together, if there's a moment between the time you're now ready for a subject and the subject's not yet there, the first thing I do from a gear set perspective is I start collating and moving all of our stuff, all the bags and everything out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. cords being taped down, all these, all these different things that create you know a safe environment for everybody involved. And actually, as soon as I said safe environment, I was reminded about, I think, probably the worst shoot I've ever had. Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. (laughs) In which it was definitely, it it was no one's fault, the ways in which that became problematic. But we were battling maybe Jesus himself or some, some, whatever God you believe in. Mother nature. There was a lack of will for the universe, for that shoot to work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it did work. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 You got the shot. Well, that's, right? that's working, that, right? Yeah. yeah. Happy client. Now, I think you and I probably would feel like whatever we wanted, we never actually achieved. But I think we also are the type of people who, when you see how insane things have gotten, you start changing your expectations. Mm-hmm. Pretty quickly on that shoot, the expectations were wildly different. Like, okay, let's first all survive. <laughs> and, you know, pretty quickly, we didn't all survive. You know, our second right. assistant broke mm-hmm. her nose mm-hmm. and we had to send to the hospital. Yeah. You know, within the first 20 minutes of setup. Yeah. Which was, which was, I think was, which was fine. Like, we were able to do it. It was almost better you know I mean? because we had a shorthand 
and we had a this other person wasn't a part of the core group we would have had to explain everything explicitly right and we didn't have time for it yeah 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 packs weren't firing yeah i mean toronto we were in toronto for men's health to shoot a soccer star in a location that was the practice field at toronto fc the, the soccer club in toronto the mls club but we didn't know that the practice field had just been for the season basically decommissioned and ripped out all the lights yeah no electricity no electricity no lights and so it's this giant frigid balloon i mean literally a balloon which because you know sports practice fields sometimes are actually like an inflatable field right and so you have to be careful even how you enter and exit because if you leave a door open and the like the air <laughs> leaves out the air. balloon right. yeah and the, so, door, and the door slams shut and the door kept slamming shut yeah. not to mention we couldn't actually open or find the door when we got there because there's no one on location like they're supposed to be mm-hmm. so we get there we have a grip truck full of gear it's raining and windy uh, it's one of these shoots that has a, a really high concept. It's barely, it's barely above freezing. We're next to an airport. It's fucking loud. It's not late in the day, but it feels like it from like 9 a.m. on. You know, and of course, this is always going to, what's always going to happen is on an assignment with everything's going wrong. The subject you're going to learn however long before you get them is actually running early and you'll probably get them a few minutes early. Right. And which we did. We got Michael Bradley quite a few minutes early. Well, I think we also learned a few minutes before we got him that he would not, he was not willing to do one of the things we wanted to do with him. Was jump. Well, yeah, he would not leave his yeah. feet. His mm-hmm. feet would not leave the ground, which was completely terrible for one of the like one of the main things he wanted to do with him. Just because the World Cup was coming up so quickly. Right. This shoot, we finally found our way into this temporary field. It is so dark that the words pitch black could only be the right visual reference if you understand them to mean you can literally not see your hand in front of your face. Oh yeah. Did we use the modeling lights? No. Well we yes, we also use modeling lights. We got power packs just to light the set because we had a heads up there was a chance we wouldn't have any power in that oh, field. Right. Yeah. Like literally the second before the plane took off, mm-hmm. I got a call and there was like a, hey, just a heads up, there might not be. And I was furiously sending an email to the rental house saying, hey, do you have any like ambient lighting for us to use? And they were kind enough to include. Oh, yeah, right. But you also need light to like set up ambient lighting. So it everything took a million times longer than mm-hmm. anything. We were there hours before the shoot. The loading in. The loading in took the, like an, an hour. hour. Yeah. The uh-huh. creating light in the darkness took yeah. an hour. <laughs> Then we lose our second assistant almost immediately due to circumstances in their own control. But, you know, nonetheless tragic. We lose. I mean, it happens. Yeah. It happens. We, we send her off. I think then we learn we're going to get him early. Right. The concept for the shoot is to literally light half of the whole fucking stadium. It's like it, we're in a space which is probably, I don't know, 120 feet tall. It's a football field. It's a basically it's, 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 it's a football field. Yeah. We have a lot of packs, but we don't have every pack in this in literally the country of Canada. Right. And we don't even if we did, we don't have the time to do it. You would need an entire day. And so liter- at that point, it starts being about, okay, what can we achieve? 
what can what can this look like right and you start just kind of almost like breaking down like a physics level like okay well we have to be able to see this person like okay we need we need a lot of key light okay we have to be able to shape this person okay we need kickers where are they coming from this side okay so this is the frame here okay all right now we'd like to be able to see something in the black void behind them okay let's put eight heads up into this fucking <laughs> ceiling background thing and what oh. can we get out of it and then we started to be able to like do the work of getting to it and then you run headlong into the incredible and fucking terrible combination of canon cameras and pocket wizard triggers oh my god yeah well we were having the strobes in the background were shooting into the camera right to simulate stadium lighting oh we also had yeah we also were trying to light parts of the field to get like vibe from like right. yeah 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 right so i mean we we what we might have had 20 20 heads that might have been the problem with the pocket wizards you know of them not firing like everything not sinking properly well it wasn't even that they weren't sinking properly like we were we had to sh- we had to shoot at a much lower shutter speed than we wanted to but they weren't even firing properly at first. That was the first problem was like oh, we couldn't right. get them all to yeah. fire. Mm-hmm. Like it, w- it wasn't even a line of sight thing. And, then, and it, also we were in a balloon. There wasn't even in like, we weren't in a steel cage. Right. So there's no good reason they shouldn't be working, but they weren't. It was really loud. And after two hours, we were literally felt like we both had pneumonia. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, I mean, because you were so like pervasively cold and like clammy yeah, you're in a fridge yeah. we were literally but not even fridge we were, in, we were literally in a meat locker yeah <laughs> so we go down this route there's a there's an hour-long version of the story i'll try to go more towards the 10 minute version for the rest of it mm. we finally get them we finally start working we finally made all these choices and all these compromises here's what we can do and we start doing that and we luckily had a very capable athlete who could hit marks and i think we also understood early on that this wasn't going to necessarily be a perfect in-camera situation in order to actually achieve all these different goals. And before we left, we shot a ton of plates to just to give ourselves some options. And like, you know, especially when things were not, I would say if you shot 10 frames four of the frames, the background lights wouldn't fire. Yeah. One of the frames, the key lights wouldn't fire three of the frames, the, the kickers would not fire. And so out of the, 10 frames you got like one frame that everything fired how you wanted to was that the frame that he was doing the thing the thing you wanted and you were in the right spot and you were focused in the right spot and everything else was perfect probably not and so you just start figuring out like okay well how many things how many times i'm going to do this in order to get all these variables synced so we finally are working towards it with these new expectations i'm also feeling that deep anxiety of like great well now i know what, what it feels like to be on the shoot that just the, like is the one that shows like i don't have a fucking clue what's going on because it was a cover shoot mm-hmm. everything had gone wrong it was men's men's health men's health yeah and the only thing for the entire shoot that went right is because it was so dark that we had the official world cup ball <laughs> and michael bradley we'd been told was not allowed to use that ball <laughs> because of some like Nike or I don't remember. No, it was, yeah. Cause it was Adidas ball. Thing, yeah. 
and he's a right. Nike athlete, and so he was not allowed to use that ball. But we, it was so fucking dark, you literally couldn't see the ball unless you hit it with a fucking flash. And so there was no problem. Which wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the Zella was, I think Zella was only a couple months old because we had him sign that ball for Zella <laughs> and I brought it to New York. So we, we, we shoot with him on the field. He can't leave his feet. It's not very dynamic, but he's, he's, you know, he's game. He's coming towards us on the field and it feels like we're in a movie because he's not only really far away, but like he goes in and out of darkness. Yeah. Right. It was weird. Like it was super weird. We finally get him. There's no one with him. Like literally there's no one there. It's just us. We had a handler. Was there a handler there? No, the handler dropped him off and left. Really? Yeah. He I, was, th- I thought the handler no, no, no. was there no, the was, whole time. It was just kind of like. It wasn't. No? Okay. I think, and, it, and actually, actually, I think the handler came to meet us and then left and never came back again. <laughs> and then afterwards, we took him into the locker room to get some extra, extra stuff. And thank God we did. Oh, right. Yeah. Just to get like uh, a vibe. Just yeah. to get a different thing. And then we couldn't even shoot in like his locker room. We had to shoot in like the JV team's <laughs> locker room or something like that. Like whoever like the boys version of Toronto FC was. Yeah. Uh-huh. And luckily he was game for, he's like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. I mean, very nice guy, but all of the expectations for the shoot gone. So we finish up, we shoot 10 million plates for retouching purposes for Zach. We pack it all up. We're, I mean, we're basically on time for how this all also supposed to happen, but we're now we're, we're done. We're so exhausted. I think we drove straight to the airport. Yeah. Cause you were basically, you were like, I'm done with Toronto. Yeah, like, exactly. I, want no, I literally was like, I do. I'm I'm, we're leaving Toronto <laughs> yeah. immediately before anything else bad happens. Right. Cause it seemed cursed. We got to the airport. We had a terrible dinner probably. And then the delays started. Oh yeah. We got delayed. Good. Our flight got completely canceled. And then we had to fly to Montreal. Oh, that's right. In the middle yeah. of the night. We didn't fly to Montreal until like two in the morning. Oh my God. And then, yeah, right. and then we got put up in a hotel with an airline for like, two hours <laughs> but i still remember being in that airport hotel trying to check in with a line of like 40 people right. yeah and you, you're looking at your phone or your watch and you're realizing every minute goes by you're going to get like oh that what now i can't get two hours of sleep i'll yeah. get an hour and 47 minutes of sleep should just stay at the airport you literally yeah because we had like a 6 30 flight back to new york right i think that was the worst that it got that was pretty bad. The most yeah. colorfully worse yeah. that it got. I mean, literally, a bro- there was a broken nose. We kind of basically got the flu. In pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, w- I mean, I was, def- I was sick after that. For sure. I got sick, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was in deep, deep dread <laughs> about the pictures. I- I'm sure we probably... Hey, how did the post... Like, what was the post like on that? In the same way that on set, I immediately changed the way i was thinking about what we were able to do and this i i basically immediately edited for finding the right there were a lot there were a lot of pictures which were really close but you know something didn't fire like the kicker didn't fire right. like that and so i basically was like okay well don't worry about the environment don't worry the, about the context at all just think about the subject how do they look how do they how they feel what's the vibe from that and then we shot so many plates so we can drop them in wherever we want. Right. And I think ultimately it was actually one of the most complicated job in terms of retouching I had done because not, not complicated, but like differently thought about because I basically gave the 
magazine a range of like scenes and then like gave them options for what kind of it was almost like it was a sticker book mm-hmm. and yeah. like okay here's the right here's this background you can put this sticker here or this sticker there or that <laughs> sticker there and we built out all these different things yeah there were a few things that we got what we wanted i think when we shot directly back on the goal we got we had we had like you know real pictures about like whatever but the stuff that we ultimately used i think for the most part was pretty retouching heavy we didn't retouch him at all we didn't retouch you know a lot of things at all but we did drop him into the scene because we could not render the scene as we wanted to render the scene it's really tough to uh, pour whiskey during a podcast. It's it's yeah. it's a, it's I have not mastered it. We got some really good sound pouring some wine and podcast last night. And you felt like we were on you know some sort of special food channel. Like, <laughs> Ooh, cheers, food network. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, cheers. If you're wondering, the rye of choice for eyeball is Knob Creek Castring <laughs> Rye Whiskey with the the special ice cubes too, obviously. <sighs> The special ice cubes do help. We had some fancy, big, giant, optically clear ice cubes earlier, but they're gone now. Now we're just drinking whiskey because we're depraved souls. <laughs> but you knew that already, folks, didn't you? You didn't you? If you didn't, you don't now. I like that Guido set us up, but also I imagine that he gave you this Rolodex. So here's who you call in New York. They're all cynical bastards like me. <laughs> don't worry. You'll oh, feel, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'll feel totally right at right. home. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. And Guido was definitely a, a proponent in that. And so I don't know if you admit it now, but, you know, he also, he, at the time, he was like, you should move to New York. No, I think he would. I mean, I think he's, he's a very nurturing. I, I think most photographers who work with assistants they care about, it's like, you know, if you have a really good assistant, if you have any, any job you all, if you're, if you're an architect and you have a really good assistant, you know, they can't be your assistant forever. Right. Because they they deserve more than that, and so you try to help them, you try to teach them whatever you know, you try to you know shape them in some way that's going to be useful to them, hope or, or at least pass them on to someone else who's going to give them more skills and opportunities, and then you know that's going to there will come a time where they need to, to further their their education in some other way. That's how it works, and I, and I think that by him rec- like by him recommending me to you as an assistant was in that same way, you know, because like. We all have a very similar. You mean like a pattern. photographer who knows how to use lights? Yeah. <laughs> photographer knows how to talk to their assistants. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> well, our talk. You know, he did. He did say that the main reason you have assistant is to get espresso. And to get the espresso right, though. Oh that's the thing. no, he didn't even get into the whole. Oh, you got to get into that. You know. No, you, yeah. If you have an assistant that can't order a proper cappuccino, then the assistant's out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have some rules. But I, they're not, uh, they're just me judging people. They're not <laughs> actually like, oh, if you don't do that, you're going to get fired. Ah, whatever. I don't care about that shit. I mean, I, I know that people, assistants have been fired for not doing the cord correctly. And, you, know, you know, if you're, you, there's uh, all, there's, yeah. you hear all these stories uh, about people. Right. And I've, you know, I've heard amazing stories by people who put in these situations as like a third assistant on a shoot. And you're like, this is so fucked up. Like, this whole, like it's an insurance nightmare. Right. It hasn't been my career. I've been on jobs where I've probably could have walked off, you know, just because of the circumstances and also how I was treated. This, those things happen and it sucks. And it sucks that those people exist. Those, those people think it's okay to do that. You know? Luckily, I haven't experienced that a lot. 
I do have friends who have experienced that like a lot. And right. um, you know, that's, it's not, you don't want to treat anybody like that, you know? And like, and if you're going to fire somebody because they're not rolling up a cord properly, like, you know, that's just not right. You know, like you need to, that person needs a chance. You know? Well, it's one thing if they've, if they're willingly not, you know, not doing something that they've been asked to repeatedly and they're just like, fuck you. I'm not going to do this. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's one yeah, thing. Yeah. But like you never showed someone how to do anything. They haven't been trained properly. And then you're like, oh, you're fired because you didn't do right. something which you have no yeah. idea what the fuck we're mm-hmm. even talking about. That's just like having someone there you can fire based upon whatever reason so that you feel more powerful. Right. I, I, I don't have any time for that dumb shit. Like, yeah. In the same way that I don't want onset catering. <laughs> I don't want I don't want it's just so fucking stupid. Let's just do a good job and go home. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, or at the very least, go back to an airport, have a bad cocktail, and get on a plane, and come home. Like, come on, something. Like, yeah, I, I just, I need to be on the way home. That's 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 the whole point. So you get to New York, we start working together. You start shooting a little bit more for yourself, from your perspective, because you. One of the cool things about working with a good assistant is that that assistant's working with a lot of other good photographers and a lot of other good creators of all different stripes. And you work on a lot of ad campaigns. You work on a lot of different like catalog shoots. You work on a lot of different shoots in which I can't even conceive of how they work and are made up of because I've never even seen a set like that. What do you see about where things are heading? I mean, like, are you know, what are you concerned about? Or can you, you know, can you verify that things seem crazy this year or last year, or last three years, whatever else? How do you think about where we are and maybe where we're heading? I think that. Henry, tell me the answers, yeah. <laughs> buddy. Tell me what's going on. The answers of the universe. I behold you. You know, I, th- I, th- I think a lot of people would have the same answers to that question is that a lot of the work that's coming out now looks the same. And especially in advertisement and catalog work. Rightfully so in some ways because agencies want to play it safe or they want to please the client in that way. You know, they do want to do exactly what the client is paying them to do right and that's understandable like you want to do that it's the client wagging the dog right but there's no like there's no room for creativity or there's no room for like pushing the idea further you know i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because in a lot of ways there's a lot of work to be holding there you know what i mean like if you're that person that wants to do that you can go ahead and do that and it's all about how you push that out. And there's nothing wrong with a regular paycheck. I mean, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, then if there's no room for creativity or pushing things forward, like what is the point of putting the energy into that? Well, you the know? danger in not hiring people who are going to push things are not are allowing the client to just keep things basically the same every time is that eventually they're like, well, what are we paying for? Right. Or maybe we should just use what we shot last year, the year before that again. There's because a lot of reuse happening. Yeah, a lot of reuse sure. is happening. And some of it, you know, you as a photographer as an, or as a, an owner of IP, you're like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Don't do the damn yeah. thing again. Yeah. Like, what's the point? <laughs> I would love that same paycheck. shit. Yeah. Or, but even the paycheck, like, I mean, I always want a new experience. Even if we're doing something similar again, I, I like going to the world because, Nothing's ever truly the same. There's always an opportunity, even especially we've done a lot of things that are exactly the same, yet we've had wildly different experience doing it. Right. And so there's always something that could happen in that room. And there's a reason why you can try and care to try harder and do it again better. 
But the sameness to me is a dangerous trend because just basic economics show that when the status quo is maintained, eventually it's disrupted in a way which is not going to benefit the people who are making the expensive, you know, one-time money. Right. It's hard though, because there's a line. Like it, it may not be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's overly dependent on like who's doing it. If you're the photographer that could shoot food and shoot the food the same way every single time and that sells and that's putting money in your bank, great. But then there's other people that can't do that, you know, who, and who are also talent, like uh, just as talented, right? like they can make great photograph and like make something out of nothing, you know, that type of thing. But there's seems like there's little there's even more little room for that these days, you know, like for that person to be put into a situation where there literally is nothing for them to make anything out of. And then, you know, it's part of the danger of my career is that me and uh, and several of my friends have been put in this box where it's like, oh, they're really great when you have a shitty assignment and you need someone to go in and like wizard the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay. So now you're going to call me when you have everything's fucking on fire and I'm the one who can put it out. Like, why don't you call me for a couple cupcake assignments? Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> why'd you call me when you have tons of time, you know, you're not on deadline. Right. You have this great location. You have a wonderful subject. You have an interesting story. Right. Like I don't, I, I've just happened not to be in that situation in that location as well. You know, like, Oh, like I heard you're in Boston. Like, can you shoot this assignment? I am in Boston. <laughs> I actually am sitting here in an empty studio on the board or, you know, whatever it's going to be, you know, like I've always, because of my background in journalism, sort of found value in trying, you know, like it's like that, that's exciting to me. Like the deadline and the hard circumstances, it's exciting to like work in difficult territory and come out with a win, but it teaches a client a bad lesson potentially. Yeah. They literally will tell you like, oh yeah, I call you when I have a really difficult one. It's like, <laughs> that's not the answer to this story. Like I call me when you have a great one. Right. If I made your shitter decent, imagine what I could do with your good one. <laughs> I mean, that'd be a fucking shiny turd, wouldn't oh, it? Yeah. Like, like, come on, let's, uh, let's start with, uh, with decent ingredients. Maybe we'll have a real winner here. Right. Yeah. It's like, I can polish it. I can polish it for <laughs> sure. One of the things that you and I have talked about, not as much as barbecue or uh, hip hop music or the importance of having a rental car playlist or the importance of assistance, basically saying absolutely nothing <laughs> or several other very important subjects. One of the things you and I have talked about a lot is that clients get what they pay for. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe that's starting to be broken because clients seem to be getting a lot for not very little. But there were times where we would be on maybe a road trip and we'd be shooting a few different things. And the first client was paying me top dollar to do an easy job, basically. And we did, we did our best. We did a good job. It was totally fine. And they were very happy. The next client, we're paying not as much. And I have all the same gear as I had in the first job. And I'm trying to figure out what level of effort and finesse and polish do they deserve? Because I don't think it's fair if they get exactly what the other client got who paid half as, half as much. But how do you translate that? 
Well, I don't know. I was always, a, I mean, sometimes I would actually like, if I was, if I was being petulant enough, I would literally like decide, okay, well you paid one half as much as the other client. I'll use half as many lenses <laughs> and two thirds as many lights or whatever else. And the truth is, Maybe those extra lights weren't actually even valuable, and it was in more interesting in this one setup to even use less. It actually had more vibe. So then you didn't really that didn't yeah, really work out. It's <laughs> also, on any given shoot, I, I'm not Guido. I only I don't only use one <laughs> lens, but I'm not using fifteen. God, that's he uses a zoom shirt. lens, by the way. <laughs> I know he uses a zoom lens. He even identified that he uses it at forty, <laughs> which is funny because it's not. I know it's not tape forty. No, he uses that about 40 millimeters. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, he doesn't even tape it down, though, which would be funnier. No, well, that's the job of the assistant is to make sure it's always at 40. <laughs> that's a stupid job for an assistant. <laughs> that, to me, means I didn't clearly didn't use some, one of the skill sets you, you could have brought to bear. So, I, I mean, I, I, I struggle with that because I, mean, I don't think it's fair if someone is willing to pay market rate and someone else is pay half market rate and they get similar outcome. Yeah, and also, are you charging rental on your lighting equipment to those clients right you know what i mean so right. like on the client that's that you're charging more for like and i'm assuming that a lot of the lights that you have with you are you own you're not renting right but you're still charging a rental rate we did a lot of everything because sometimes we're traveling to a place that's great rental so we're good you know we're not going to travel what we're going to rent yeah okay and then on the next job you would just transfer that rental over to the next job I mean, maybe, like, you know, that, like, there was, the it worked all different kinds of ways, but to me, it's more about intent. Yeah. I, I get what you mean, but also at the same time, like, cause you also touched upon like using the same amount of lenses or using the same amount of lighting. No, there's a technical because, aspect to it, but like, I, I just think that through my career, I, you know, there was a million different levels to everything and I could be shooting basically the same picture for advertising and getting paid 10 times as much. I could right. be shooting the same thing for, I don't know what, you know, what's well below, you know, ads newspapers maybe and getting paid, right, yeah. you know, yeah. one fifth as much. So there's always that, but I'm talking about apples to apples, like, you know, one magazine job for the, a similar deliverable for a similar size magazine and they're paying you way less. Right. That publication with a lot less money, maybe it's the only lot less money for the job they've called you about. They expect extremely high quality for their smaller budget but that's all relative i feel like i i know what you mean like because you're i, I know what you're getting at but it's like for every job you want to do the best you you can do depending on the budget you're given right but if you're talking about using the same like you have the same equ amount of equipment that you have from one job to the next like you should still be able to do the the best job you can try to do right you know what i mean like no but like see, are you gonna try to downplay the style see, of that's exactly what i'm saying like, you like, know what I mean? like that's what i'm saying of course the equipment's not changing i mean if if it is changing it's, it's a choice by you to use less yeah but like but by using less does that mean that the quality of the photograph goes down maybe maybe you know not i mean but like and shouldn't it if i say okay i want a cake this cake costs five hundred dollars <laughs> this cake costs five dollars should the $5 cake taste as good as a $500 cake? Well, fuck no, it shouldn't. But the $500 cake better be damn tasty. Now, the truth is, these days, a $500 cake is probably disgusting. It's probably going to taste probably terrible. probably costs $5 to make. Well, and maybe so. Maybe yeah. it's just the, the gall of the, uh, the nerve to charge you even ever more. 
But I, I think that there's a degree to which photographers always decide that no matter how much you paid, I'm going to go 110%. So I'll change that question into something that I think you'll need to be thinking about moving forward as you start to end the perpetualness of your transition. Yeah. At some point you're going to decide, okay, here's the arbitrary line in the sand. And after this point or today or last night, whatever, I'm no longer going to do this anymore. And then I'm no longer going to do that anymore. And then you'll only be moving forward with the next thing. Like the only real way, and this is something we've talked about ad nauseum on our many, 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 many hours of travel into the void, you know, in each other's company. But the only way to move forward is to move forward. The only way right. to stop doing this and start doing that is to stop doing this and start doing that. If you want to be shooting for these other clients, part of the way that has to happen is you have to stop shooting for clients you already had. You know, no one ever taps you on the shoulders like, you know, listen, today you got your promotion. Now you're now you'll be doing this. Right. You create the change. Now, this year, the last maybe two and a half years, is a scary time for it because God knows what's happening. I don't think the clients know what's happening. I don't think people selling ad dollars or space know what's happening. There's a lot of there's a lot of buyouts. There's a lot of buyouts. There's, there's a lot, there's of, a lot of there's a, I mean there's a lot of everything. You know, there's a lot. I mean, other than selling, you know, news about Trump, mm-hmm. there's no one knows what's next. And part of the reason why no one knows what's next is that we've decided to all be a little too similar to each other for the last 10 years so that there's not a lot of things that that separate and yeah and the ones that do stand out i feel like they are with publications that don't make a lot of money well, there's not a lot of budgets happening you know and it's like well sort of like a at least of love. photographically speaking right you know yeah um yeah no you're right and you i think i think it's a positive sign that we're it's either a sign of the the very end of things or it's a sign of the, the beginning of things that like there's a lot of the golfers journal and surfers journal and yeah. all these little th- like, like the quarterly high end yeah the very boutique things it's clearly labeled love and you know they're not paying neck they're paying next to nothing or nothing at all right. and it costs way too much to buy on a newsstand because it's like it's literally a art project yeah 30 dollars um, for an issue i mean who doesn't have 30 dollars for an issue of a magazine but that's also part of this this thing is that we're we are going to fetishize the print magazine as mm-hmm. you know, yeah in, in order to totally kill the divide between print and digital, which should have been killed years and years ago. The difference between ad rates and print and digital should have been addressed a long time ago. For sure, we wouldn't be in this position now. Yeah, because we there'd be a better pool of money digitally speaking, especially now that print editions are gone. Opportunity to charge more for that is now evaporated. Mm-hmm. I think that moving forward, it's going to be ever more important for people who are trying to better define what it is they really want to make those choices and make some of those are hard choices. Like when I decided that I couldn't work for the New York Times anymore, partly it was because of contract, partly because of money, partly because of whatever else. Part of it was that I wanted, I was ready to work for bigger and better clients and, and and to do a different kind of work. And part of that was knowing that I was going to alienate New York times and, and it happened in a way, which I, that I did not intend to be dramatic. I literally just 
demanded that instead of just saying, Hey, are you available on X date for some unknown quantity? I said, Oh, uh, yeah, thanks for calling. You know, what, what's the story? What do you guys have working on? I'm like, Oh no, I can't tell you. You have to say if you're available or not. I was like, Nope, I'm not doing it anymore. If you want me to shoot this job, you have to absolutely tell me what it is because the 16 hour job where I have to need to like run around with my head caught on fire is not worth what was then $200 a day. Right. It no longer was worth that to me. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because, you know, some projects you may not think are worth it, but you may still have to take on, you know, especially when you're making that transition. Right. You know, because it's like, you know, you you could be like, maybe you're, say you're 30 years into your shooting career and like you can turn down work. But like for, I think a person like me in my position, it's like, I got to take everything I can get right now. No matter and no matter what it is, like if I don't even think it would be worth putting in my book or in a reel or something, if it's something that I think that I can do, I need to do it. Mm-hmm. Especially now, because you know it's like anything right now is an opportunity, right for me. And so like it's a, it's just hard, you know. Um, and this and I and especially for people that are also in similar in my similar position. Or, or who are younger and co- just come out of college and they're like assisting and stuff like that. And they're getting a couple of shooting jobs here and there. Those shooting jobs are kind of rare when it comes to people who don't have experience in that way. Right. You know what I mean? Cause they always kind of go to the experienced people. They always go to the veterans, but when something comes my way, it's like, I have to take it no yeah. matter what it is. No, you know? but yeah. And, but that's part of, you know, if you're transitioning to be, you decide you want to be a full-time shooter, then of course you're going to start by just saying yes to all of it. Right. Uh, but part of that, that transition will be saying no to more assisting. Right. Or whatever else. Yeah. So yeah. Like, that's what's right. like wherever the yeah. label level is, whatever the, you know, wherever you're at, it starts by saying no to something and yes to something else. Right. Yeah. And also like, you know, what that financial situation is too. Sure. You know, like assisting is bread and butter to say no to assisting right now. And I, and for a lot, and this is probably the same for a lot of people is like, that would be half your income, mm-hmm. you know? And like, like shooting comes farther and fewer in between than assisting does. There's way more assisting jobs there are than shooting jobs out there. I feel like, you know, like you can make it, like you can make, you know, however much money you want assisting, depending on how many days a week you work. Shooting, it's like, if you're lucky, you get like two or three jobs a week. If you're super busy, right? You know, other than that, it's like two or three jobs a month. You know, I think I think right now it's a it's a hard time to be a photographer, you know, because you're expected to deliver something at much smaller rates than they used to be, and I feel like they're getting smaller. Henry, it's such a treat to talk to you. It's a great time for me to see you. Oh yeah, uh, I wish you the best. Happy holidays. Let's go join our significant others so we don't get in any more trouble sick things there it is my thanks to henry and michelle for dropping by to see us over the holidays in dc and my sincere thanks to all of the many assistants techs scouts hair and makeup artists and everyone else who's been on a crew for me who've helped me do my job better over the years check out more of henry's amazing work 
at henryhungphoto.com. That's H-E-N-R-Y-H-U-N-G-P-H-O-T-O.com. Or on Instagram at henryxhung. Make sure you go on Vimeo and search for Gnarlene's, the documentary on skate culture in New Orleans. That's G-N-A-R-L-E-A-N-S. As always, a hat tip to Mr. Pryor, the man behind the music. Find more of his music at scottpryormusic.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. This is my dad's podcast, and it's called Eyeball. <laughs> Goodbye, you crazy animals.